Welcome to Street Smart Success. This is Roger Becker, your host. When it comes to putting larger real estate deals together, a lot of different roles are necessary. One of the most important roles is raising money and dealing with investors. As operators are scaling their businesses, they may need to bring in co-GPs to raise money. Andrew Shutsky, founder of Redline Equity, partners with other operators to find the right deals, help with due diligence, and bring capital raising and investor relations expertise to the table. So today we have with us a man who is steeped in real estate. Uh, He is a GP. He is an LP. Uh, He has ownership interest in north of 1,100 units. Um, He is also a fellow podcast host of the Crushing Cashflow podcast. He is Andrew Shutsky. Andrew, welcome to Street Smart Success. It's a pleasure to be here, Roger. Thanks so much for inviting me. You know, I always love doing other podcast guys. I, in a way, I almost feel like, oh, you know, I got to really step up here and, you know, I'm dealing no. with a fellow. <laughs> anyway, uh, you're a nice, nice, forgiving man. So I know you're in the uh, the Keystone State, but tell me, uh, where, where did the Andrews story start? Is that where you're from originally? Uh, you've been there your whole life. What did yeah. you do? Yeah. So I guess you could say I didn't stray too far from the nest. So uh, born and raised in the Philadelphia suburbs, not far, 15 miles or so south of, of the airport or center city, but uh, moved around a bit and was on the road quite a lot when I was in my consulting days, maybe 50 weeks a year on the road. A lot, a lot of time in Texas, a lot of time in Florida, Georgia, West Virginia, Oklahoma. So I've seen quite a bit of the country on, on travel, but boomeranged and living back in uh, not too far off my hometown. So still in the Philadelphia suburbs area. What, you were on the road 50 weeks a year. My goodness. And doing what consulting, doing what? So I'm in the IT field. So full-time job is I'm a CIO right now, but uh, I spent a lot of time doing uh, enterprise resource planning. We call it ERP, which is the SAPs that work over the world. So I was in management consulting, working for Deloitte and Touche for uh, about better part of six years and got to see quite a bit of the country at that point. So kind of a, kind of fun, but at the time, same time exhausting when you're trying to start a family doing that <laughs> lifestyle. So well, it makes one wonder when you had time to get pregnant, but let's not go down that path. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But we kind of waited, uh, strategically waited until my wife was like, there's no way I'm raising, you know, a newborn on my own. She's working, you know, 40, 50 hours herself. So she's like, there's no way we're going to have kids until you stop doing this. So that one thing led to another. And uh, I changed jobs pretty quickly at that point. Wow. You know, Philly, the only vernacular jargon I know is mainline. And and so we're, yeah. other than that, I'm ignorant. Were you mainline Philly? Not too far from there. We're outside of the proper mainline of division line of like the Berwins and, you know, Malverns of the world, but only, you know, 10 minutes or so from that area. But we're just outside. We're in the corner of Delaware and Chester County, kind of a, a secret spot of like really close to Delaware, really close to Maryland. And, uh, not too far at all from the city, but nice suburban area. I see. You an Eagles fan? Oh, unfortunately, yes. Yeah, diehard <laughs> Eagles fan. I always will be, and I'll take the heat for that, rightfully so. Yeah, yeah, no problem. A uh, guy that works for, in my other business, that grew up in Bucks County, and so he's a he's a diehard Eagles fan. You know, most of us are. Yeah, it's uh, it's addicting. It's a it's a fun environment to go see the games, and you know, hopefully, it, it bleeds into my kids too. They don't seem to have any interest yet, but we'll see. 
<laughs> you know, Philadelphia is a town, and we we won't dwell too much. But just from my li- very limited perspective, seems like it this the, it's this town again. This is so subjective, but it feels like it lives in the shadow of New York for some reason, where it just doesn't get the respect. But uh, but by the same token, is a really cool town. Yeah, I think we play into that, right? Like our our theme since the Super Bowl now it seems like a distant memory. A few four, four or five years ago. Uh, it's been the underdogs, and we we play to that as like, hey, we're always in the shadows, and that kind of is what fuels and motivates our sports teams. So, in a way, it works in our favor. I see. Well, you you don't, you're talking to a guy from Cleveland, so you you have no title to the to, to the underdog, <laughs> Andrew. True. Trust me. At least you guys won. Uh, you know, one one. Anyway, well, so here's a question: How does um h- how does doing uh, being how does your experience as a CIO and coming out of the IT world translate to real estate? Because I'm sure it does, but, it, but how yeah. would you answer? No, great question. It does a lot. And I guess one of the things, number one, I've, I've always been from a young age, kind of been fascinated by real estate in general. You know, it started in the single family side. My grandfather had a, a few duplexes, quadplexes, did some commercial, you know, construction and restaurants. It's always been a, a kind of a seed inside of my you know, DNA, really, of like just been an interest in mine. And it really got more serious is that, you know, you start doing well in your professional career. You'll start looking at ways to diversify your income. And I really enjoy stock investing and mutual funds and all that, but I wanted a way to diversify that a bit and to reduce some volatility and to, for God's sake, reduce my tax burden. So that kind of led me to starting with the single family investing, got into short-term rentals down at the, the Jersey Shore here. And then as I look to scale, I mean, that just going those first two routes between the short and long-term rentals with single family, it takes forever, man. So really got serious and did start doing some research, uh, started with bigger pockets, found a thread on commercial real estate syndications around apartment buildings. I'm like, oh, this, this seems pretty cool. This kind of piqued my interest. So started reading and I was actually, you and I were talking about Florida uh, right before that we kicked off this call. My wife and I were on a vacation in Fort Myers Beach and I stumbled on this thread and it consumed about two to three hours of my time. And she was a little peeved at that point, but it was for good reason. Uh, I got hooked, man. From there, I, I started just going all in with, you know, reading dozens of books, joined a mastermind program, got a mentor, joined a number of clubs, investment groups, and just sucked up all the knowledge I could. And, I, you know, from that day forward, it's just been a uh, nonstop obsession around the commercial uh, apartment building space. Man, you've jumped off. You've jumped in with both feet. When was that trip to Fort Myers? That was November of 2020. So not that long ago. Got it. Man, you are, you have jumped, started your own podcast, dozens of books. You already got a mentor. Are, are you at liberty to say who your mentor is? Is it one of these high gloss, well-known guys? No, it's not actually. And some of them, yeah, I interviewed a number of different groups. And I'm actually on my second program and I still have ties back to the first group. And, and both groups have been you know, very, very meaningful to me in my development in different ways, right? Uh, so a couple are lesser known names. They're not one of the the guys posting pictures of Lamborghinis and Ferraris. And that's honestly <laughs> not what I wanted, right? There's a lot of, there's enough of those out there, but I really just wanted, you know, number one, someone to just help steer and guide me and just bounce ideas off. I don't need, you know, I'm not the type of guy that needs like 50 hours of instruction and in formal classroom. Like I can learn on my own, but I also would rather avoid the big mistakes that a lot of these guys have made in the past. I wanted somebody to kind of watch over me. Hey, look over my underwriting from time to time, maybe partner. Actually, I have partnered with my former mentor, my current mentor on a deal. So hugely important for me. And I, I didn't go for the big names. I just wanted someone who could kind of have my back and help me kind of 
take the steering wheel from time to time, just guide my decisions and direction. So if you have a a former uh, and and current mentor, why is the former one the former one as opposed to your current one? I guess I should say they're both still both my currently my mentors. I'm just a little less involved with my former, but they just they serve different purposes, right? The first one was just general career guidance and you know, how to get started, how to attract investors, you know, how to look for properties, how to underwrite, how to network. Like that was it was more generalized. And the second group and mastermind I joined and mentor was very much more targeted towards investor relations and raising capital. So I was like, hey, this is a cool area I want to focus on. I've kind of narrowed it on that niche for now. I'm going to build that out as, as fast, as efficiently as I can. So I, it kind of went from broad to specific. And that this second group and second, uh, there's actually two coaches in the program, are focused on a certain niche. So you could, I guess you could say it's specialized knowledge I was seeking on the second relationship. And what's that niche? Uh, investor relations and raising capital. I, I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Okay, got mm-hmm. it. Okay, I, I get it. So just to backtrack a bit, we spent about we meaning my family and I did about a dozen years at the shore Cape May every year because my wife is actually from New Jersey yeah it it absolutely and you know I look back nostalgically at those days our kids are all kind of termed out now but doing short-term rentals what what market you talking about what which town on the shore uh, sea Isle City right now. So it's a small town kind of wedged between Cape May and Atlantic City, right? Almost in the midpoint. So lesser known, but uh, again, kind of like the mentor, the mastermind program, I guess I seek out the the most interesting uh, cities, right? I like, I like Ocean City, New Jersey too. We've been looking there and uh, haven't bought anything there, but kind of been distracted by this whole apartment building thing. <laughs> I see. Hey, Street Smart listeners, I'd like to introduce a great partner for you. As you know, insurance is one of the biggest expenses on the P&L. That's why I'm recommending Assured Partners. Assured Partners helps you lower risk and, therefore, can save you tons of money down the road. They insure over 2 million market rate and affordable units and are the sixth largest insurance property broker in the U.S. If you want a roll-your-sleeves-up partner that blankets you with service, give Robert Band, Vice President, a call. Robert thinks like a CFO because he was a CFO for many years. Give Robert a call now at 305-467-5909. You'll be glad you did. I've been just getting kind of tuned into short-term rentals in the last few months myself from an education perspective. Mm -hmm. I'm not an operator, but it seems like, and and again, before we hit record, I was, I was complaining to you about the fact I paid 700 bucks a night for a very middling experience in uh, St. Petersburg, Florida. And it just dawned on my wife and I, that we should be on the other side of the equation. Like, and and this was in an apartment, clearly a converted apartment complex. And I'm thinking, holy cow how much money these people are making and so how are you doing with when did you buy it and how are you doing and what are you getting per rent you managing it yourself etc etc so i guess i should say maybe stupid luck in terms of timing we bought the the first ci place in 2016 now i'm doing the math in my head that sounds about right so well before this this recent boom in the last 18 months that you and i are talking about as well um it's just yeah, like you said, this part of Jersey is exceptionally beautiful, and it's it, it kind of overcomes the stigma that New Jersey seems to hold with the majority of America, which for good reason it does, right? But really, really beautiful beaches, and I, I probably I can only guess 
that the main attraction is convenience over like because what people pay to come to the Jersey Shore still had from day one had me blown away. When I was doing the initial, I guess you could call it underwriting when we bought this place. I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, it'll, it'll do, you know, if we can rent it for 60, 70% of the time, we'll do quite well. Now, even one year in, we were booked almost a year in advance. You know, we did a nice job renovating. I like to think we did a good job of like magic communications with VRBO and all that. But and I do, I do self-manage by the way, but the demand for what the Jersey Shore brings is unbelievable. Like people will pay more for a week there than you could go to Jamaica or the Caribbean with their family. And I have to think that's for convenience. It's for nostalgia. You know, a lot of families have grown up in the Philly, Jersey, New York area. We got a lot, we got a lot of, even people from Texas come stay at our place, which is really cool. Um, and it's fun. It doesn't cash flow the same way, you know, especially if you bought in the last year or two, it won't cash flow the same way as, uh, you know, in a big apartment building. But the the people you deal with are super friendly. Everybody's excited. They're on vacation. All your rent is prepaid. So you don't have to worry about evictions. And we've had nothing but really great experiences with people over the last six years or so. You know, it's so, fun. Oh, I'm sorry. It, you, you know, you, you, you say that it doesn't cash flow like an apartment building. And I'll tell you that the podcasts that I've listened to, and I kind of believe maybe I'm an easy, maybe I'm an easy, easy target or whatever. But I mean, I keep hearing, and I've listened to a fair amount of them, that, you know, people are making pretty conservatively if 20% on their cash on cash, especially if they self-manage and could yeah. be considerably higher. And yet with apartment buildings, cap rates, of course, interest rates now have gone up in the literally last couple of weeks. Now that you and I are talking in the middle of April of 2022. So maybe the meter moves a little bit but by, but by and large, cap rates are so low and cash on cash, especially on something stabilized, is yeah. so low. It doesn't compare to short-term rentals. And so do you know what your, if you kind of figure out what your cash on cash is on that property, just out of curiosity? Now, I, I should also, you know, put an asterisk. The Seahawk property, We it's a mixed use, right? So we do spend some time there with our family. So if I were to rent it, you know, full April through October and then the holidays, it probably would be north of 20%, especially given the fact that we bought at less than half its current market value. And, you know, peak season, we're getting close to 7,000 a week, right, in rentals. So if if we were to max that, you know, max that out and lean in as 100% investment, I mean, I, I, did, I, th- I do think cash flow would do quite well. Now, if somebody listening to this is saying, hey, let me go invest and get 20%, if you were to buy post-2021, it'd be a lot more difficult to do so. <laughs> like I said, we kind of, fell into some, you know, stupid luck. And so just, you know, stupid per- persistence in my end with my wife, like, Hey, this is the right time. And she's like, Hey, we have a newborn. This is stupid. Well, the appreciation, uh, came wildly in swing in the last couple of years. And so did the, the rental rates, uh, in the summer. So long way of saying like, I, if we, if we maxed out and squeeze this thing as a pure investment, uh, the CL property, it would, it would do quite well, but I wouldn't expect that to be repeatable for someone going out looking right now, if that makes sense. It, it, it does. And did I hear you correctly when you said you're getting nearly seven grand a week? That's correct. For a four bedroom, you know, 1800 square foot townhouse <laughs> in New Jersey. Well, dude, my, I, I can't even speak. I mean, I, when we used to stay in Cape May and, and it's funny, the timing was around like we stopped going when you bought your in 2016 was our last year it just because it's like okay all the kids are at college and blah 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 so it we stopped going but we we would rent 
a house, and I think probably 3,500 square feet big, you know, those gorgeous old Victorians, not far from the beach. And I think those were six grand a week back then, but you're talking 1800. And mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know, Sia, but, but Cape May is, as you know, is on like, the whole town's on the historic national register. I know, right. you know, it, it's not a, it's not a, we'll, we'll compromise and go to Cape May. No, it, it, it in itself is a legitimate destination, you know, shy of going to Europe, frankly, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we have the whole, really the whole South you know, I'd say south of Ocean City, Brigantine area, all the way down to Cape May has, you know, wildly inflated in the last uh, last couple of years, especially. So, yeah, I mean, you, you, if, I, I, what, I think what makes it more palatable is most of these, like I'd say above two bedroom um, houses are split by a couple of families. So you might have oh, like an sure. in coming down. So it's more digestible and palatable that way versus like, hey, we got to get on a plane. We're going to go to Disney and it's a lot less convenient. So if you split it with two families, even if you're spending seven or eight grand a week, it becomes a little more palatable that way. You're not, you're not, you're not spending for flights or rental cars or anything like that, too. So, oh, un- un- unquestionably, I mean that, and, and to me, like that's in locations like that. That's what makes the whole thing work. And a lot of people, it's beyond cost, which is, hey, you know, we're we're staying with like in our situation. You know, it was my wife's brother and his his wife and family, and we would prefer. To, to be together as opposed to, you know, going into separate hotel rooms. Of course, I would uh, hope my wife never listens to that because that's actually what I would have preferred. <laughs> but, right, right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> anyway, okay, so so what are you then doing in, in multifamily? You you said your, your role is kind of investor relations, cap raising. I get that. So like what kind of deals ha- have you done? Are you doing, it says you're a GP and an LP. So Andrew, what are you doing? Yeah. So just just about to, fingers crossed, close our third deal as a GP. And just looking for, you know, I've always looked for quality partners. Again, you know, working 40, 50 hours a week plus, traveling, having the web travel. I, I just, I quickly realized I couldn't do it all. I couldn't look for and underwrite deals and do asset management and investor relations. So I'm like, okay, let me dial in at least for, it's been the last five or six months really getting tight on the branding and, and getting the marketing game dialed in and just really focusing on, you know, connecting with investors, you know, one, two at a time, right? Just slow paced. Now I'm getting a grip on that and I am starting to look at, you know, I found a partner in this mastermind group uh, that I really enjoy working with and kind of teaming up with them on the direct seller strategy. So I'll back up a bit, started the journey in a uh, portfolio in Georgia. So that was the first one. Second one was in Greenville, South Carolina with another operator I really enjoy working with and still underwrite and vet deals with him. And then uh, the third one was my former mentor, or no, I should say my former, my current mentor uh, out in Louisville, Kentucky. It's a 228 unit. So as you mentioned, actually the number will be closer to 1300 between GP and LP positions, hopefully in the next week here. And then looking for the next one, the uh, next goal is to close one by July. So actively looking with about three or four different main operators for deals in the, the Southeast and Midwest. Okay. And so the role you're playing is, okay, so you're, you're GPing with other operators and you're, basic, you're basically bringing money to the table. Bringing money, my experience, and, and just really helping with capex planning, and sometimes due diligence. Right? I know you're not supposed to be, you know, SEC guidelines, just a capital raiser. I never have been. In all fairness, I've always had some other hat I've worn, and I'm happy to be. I, I, I enjoy the, you know, this come, 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 
ties back to the CIO tie-in of like, I look at every investment very strategically. Where are we going with it? What's the business plan? What's the return on investment? So just everything I've learned at work, I bring to the the apartment investing space and actually vice versa. A lot of stuff I learned from underwriting, I bring to my work, and <laughs> which is pretty cool. Pretty cool. Do you know who Endurus Capital is? Sure do. Sure do. Got it. Are, are they the people that you're involved with in Louisville? Correct. Okay. Well, it is a small world, isn't it? It is. Do you know Todd or? Uh... I, I do know Todd. Cool. <laughs> yes, I do. Cool. Yeah, I, I know. So how did you meet Todd? So Todd was my first mentor. I see. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We, we met each other on Bigger Pockets back in 2020 and, uh, you know, just started having casual conversations and then uh, we kind of hit it off. We, we still talk quite regularly and uh, we, we had been waiting to do it while for to do a deal together and this uh, Louisville deal came up in, uh, I'm going to say January, February, and uh, he needed some help and I was looking for another the right deal with the right team and it was a good fit. I see. Well, very, very, very small world that we live in. I as well met him on Bigger Pockets and have invested in a number of his deals. And so, cool. yes, I, I do. I know Todd. I'm not going to say I know him incredibly. How well can you know somebody yeah. in a couple of years? But he's a guy. He's the kind of guy that you can get to know pretty quickly. Yeah, you're in good hands. Yeah, you're good hands. He's not like I said. He's not the guy that will go out like posting pictures of Ferraris and Lamborghinis, despite you know a great track record doesn't tout it. And I, I often tell him you need a better marketing person to, to, to celebrate your successes more because it's not obvious from you know social media and everything that they do a great job and they take everything super seriously, which is why I enjoy working with them. They do as well. And he's, he, look, man, but even in the last couple of years, he's, he's gotten to be, his footprint has ex expanded uh, dramatically. Well, so from your perspective then, are you then aligned at this juncture with a set number of operators or are you somebody, Andrew, that could just take these skills of, you know, lending your experience from your past and how it applies to underwriting, but more, you know, focusing more on the IR and the capital raising? Are you kind of like freelance where you can pick and choose different operators and different deals to kind of bring your network into each one or how you see things yeah. on, out, you know, playing out? And so I do, I do work with a group. I actually have a whiteboard for kind of tracking, you know, deal flow with actually four different groups right now. I'm open to new relationships always, but I have a set group that I really like working with, uh, some more so than others, right? Like somewhere your values align more tighter and, you know, I don't need to do 10 deals a year, right? Maybe not even five deals a year, but it has to, it has, the criteria has to be right. The team has to be right. It has to be a good fit. Yet you're going to be working with these people for three, four, five, six, seven years, right? So you have to align personalities and values, you know, all that stuff has to has to be the right fit. But I find that with the right partners, you don't need 10, right? If you've got three or four groups, you've got decent deal flow. Where, you know, like I mentioned, launching the direct-to-seller campaign with one other group. Um, for me, that's, that meets, that'll meet my goals, right? So I don't need to go looking for 50 partners, but I'm always open and have an ear to the ground for potential opportunities. It's a good fit. Very impressive. And, and the fact you're, you're doing this while you're working a full-time gig and you've got kids, you're not afraid of, of a challenge and, and rolling your sleeves up, man. I'm like, I'm very impressed. And then you do a podcast to boot. Do you kind of have a proclivity at this point to an asset class or, you know, A, B, certain markets, yeah. you know, and, 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 and what do you do specifically, if you can answer this around the due diligence, what would you say is your strength when it comes to due diligence? 
Yeah, so two-part question. Um, I, yeah. I think I, I <laughs> yes, think. you noticed that. Okay, yes. All good, all good. Uh, so mainly multifamily, class B and class C. I, I am starting to look at class A or the, I'll call it the core plus uh, and value add. And value add's always been the, the core component. But like looking at the core plus just because, you know, not everybody needs to have 15, 20% RR. We're looking at, hey, there'd be some nicer properties that we can hold for seven, 10 years that people just want that steady cash flow. And adjacently, we'll be looking at in the future self-storage and maybe even uh, the car wash space. So sticking in commercial, you know, business side real estate, uh, mainly value add, but open to other areas. Uh, I really like the newer than 1980s or 1990s properties just for the easy, the ease of maintenance and renovations and things like that. But in this market, you can't be, you can't be super, super picky. Got it. I love the car wash space. Um, those things just print money. They do. They do. And you and I both know Todd. So Todd is big into senior care and I've invested uh, in some of those as well. And uh, also another very, very lucrative area that I, I don't even like talking about because I feel like it's one of the areas that hasn't blown up. <laughs> <laughs> and I like to get more involved. So yeah, you don't want to, I, I find it's easy to get your attention diluted in, in certain areas with the, I'll call it the squirrel syndrome. For those of you who've seen the kids movie up where uh, you're distracted easily, but or shiny pen, penny, whatever it may be. But um I like the senior care. I like uh, car washes. I mentioned so there'll be two areas that I'll explore uh, again after I get a, a handle in the next couple of multifamilies, um, just to make things easier. Do you? Uh, I, well, I'm asking this question, but I'm sure that there's. I'm sure the answer is yes. You have your eye on a sponsor or two in the car wash space, correct? Well, actually, one way I came across it, I was at the Best Ever Conference in February here in Denver, and uh, there was a presentation on car washes and industrial in general. And uh, it's like, hmm, it's got me thinking about it. I know a couple of friends that own some locally. Started digging in a little bit, and there's one sponsor that I, they're probably too large. They've already got a massive team, but I don't actually have a, a working relationship with people that are in that space. So I might have to go out and find my own with one of my existing partners. I came across a offering memorandum on Tommy's and it's a franchise and there's some private equity groups that, right. And, and they're, you know, trying to roll up maybe 10 or 15 of them, but by and large, most of them do like 2 million top line and 1 million to the bottom line, Yeah, you know, and it's like those numbers are again, compared to, for example, you know, multifamily, it, it's, yeah, it's just, margin. yeah, it, it, it's head spinning. Uh, you know, you, you said you started off like, you know, stocks, you know, as an investor and I'm wondering, and then, you know, you, you came across big pockets, pissed your wife off cause you're in your, in the place you're staying at and the sun's out yep. and the kids would want to go outside and it's 85 and you're, you're on your laptop. Yep. Uh, so when all that started, do you have a, a, a sense because, you know, in the real estate world and alternative investing, you know, we do stuff, you know, we, you know, stock market, we don't talk a lot about, do you have a, uh, an intuition or a pers perspective philosophy on how much of your, your investable money should be in, let's say the stock market versus alternative, just out of curiosity. Cause I'm something I'm thinking about for myself. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to put a, a, everybody's going to have different comfort levels with how much liquidity they want. And that's the reason I do hold probably more stocks than a lot of real estate investors do is I like to have, be, have the ability to exit for a certain period, you know, a certain percent of it. And for me, my goal would be no more than 50% in, I'll call it non-liquid, the real estate assets. So I like to cap it at that. I mean, I can play around with that over the years and I'm not even close to hitting 50% yet just because we've got the whole 401k build up and 
you know, other stock options and RSUs and stuff that we get through my, my wife and I bet we both get through work, but I feel like 50% would be the cap for either end. You know, you don't want to have too much non-liquid, but you also don't want to have too much exposure and volatility to the market. So that, that's been my number, but I, I think I heard that from someone else. It might've been, uh, Another podcast in Bigger Pockets. I think it was Brian Burke. And if you know that name, a uh, great book, by the way, uh, that he's written. But I think he had a similar guideline. I like that reference point. I don't think it's him because my guess is Brian is 100% in real estate. <laughs> I don't know I this. Feel, I feel like it was. I'll have to go back and look. But yeah. Because yeah. I'm well, surprised to hear him say that. Yeah. He's either on his podcast or his book. Um, yeah. He's he's a California guy, right? Yeah. 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 Again, it's a small world. We, you yeah. know, I, I as well am participating with Brian in some deals. And in fact, when I was just in Florida, I drove by one of the properties in Tampa that he bought that I'm involved in. And uh, he's such a real estate guy that I, and I, by the way, I don't really know for sure, but I have a feeling the bulk of what he's got is in, in real, just because he isn't in real estate because he's been doing it for about a thousand years and, you know, et cetera. cetera. I like his style. Yeah. I haven't invested with him and maybe, maybe I will in the future. Uh, But yeah, I like his style. I like his He's very methodical. He's not flashy. He just does a great job and just consistent for multiple decades. He was described to me by one of Todd's partners in Enduras as the gold standard of syndicators. And, you know, when I first met him and I met him on Bigger Pockets uh, and and, you know, he, he was in a really upside down deal in Texas somewhere. I don't remember where whether it was Houston. It doesn't really matter. But the story is that he came out of pocket about three quarters of a million dollars to make his investors whole. He also, you know, underwrites stuff, you know, unlevered yield, which no one else does to juice numbers. And he is a down the middle, super integrity guy. And I just kind of felt like as a result of all of that, if I put money with this guy, I am just, there's no way I'm going to lose money. And that's why I did it. So, and then it could just, just all uphill from there. Well, and that's the kind of people I like to work with, right? Like where I talked about integrity and values, there's lots of operators out there, but, and there's lots of good deals out there that you can find, but it really comes down to who's going to have your back and your investors back. That's who I like to work with. Yes. You, you, you and me both, because at the end of the day, performers are up performers are performers, but the differentiator is the operator and the sponsor. You know, it seems really what it comes down to. So you're a busy man. You are working. You're in the real estate business. You have a podcast. You have kids. Do you have a hobby? <laughs> many, many. So I'm gonna so I guess name my company's Redline Equity and that kind of ties back to my automotive roots. It's it's one of my it's been my one of my lifelong passions, big electronic advocate. And I love to barbecue, grill and then, you know, DIY house projects, of course, that's a few of the many aside from you know, daily fitness routine. So, yeah, I try to try to make the most of life. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's easy to say. Sounds like what, what's your daily fitness routine? So actually a couple of things, uh, you know, we've got a, a small group in the neighborhood here that we have a gym at my house and we, I invite everybody over three days a week to do weight training. And then we do the Peloton thing for cardio another three days a week. So uh, that's uh, that keeps me busy. Dude, check you out, man. I am not worthy. I am not worthy. I, I got to get motivated. Uh, no, I love to work out too. Well, Andrew, so you're going places fast. How would one get a hold of you if one were so, so inclined? 
really keep it really simple. I, you know, I always hate when people throw out like 17 links at the end of a podcast. <laughs> One, you can find everything through our website. It's investwithredline.com. You've got our, our links to our podcast and there. You've got all of our blogs, which you post every week on there. We've got all lots of great content and a free investing course. You can check us out there. It's investwithredline.com. Got it. Well, you know, from one podcaster to another, certainly know a fair amount of people in common. This has been a fantastic conversation and I appreciate the time. Absolutely, Roger. It's a pleasure, pleasure being here. It's a lot of fun. And we'll talk to you soon. Take care, brother. See you. Bye.